you know, for many of us, as we kind of kick into the year, right, who, I don't know if you do this or not, but it feels like a kind of natural kind of starting point, uh, a moment where you can really reevaluate, hey, what's important in my life? Where do I want to be going? What's, you know, what's the thing? What's the thing I'm called into? And often these natural breaks, they just form like a good moment, a good pause. So just, you know, just stop, right? And just check in with yourself and just see how you're going. Usually the pace of the year, especially the New Zealand year, as you kind of get down to that last quarter, it feels like we hit it at such blinding speed, like the details of life are kind of just coming at you. You often don't get a chance to reflect, and then you get into summer, and then you go like, gosh, what was all that about? And, you know, 2023 is one girlfriend I did not mind breaking up with, but, uh, but I'm all ready for 2024. So... And I don't know how you found around 2023, but I talked to a number of people and it's like being a bit of a tough year, right? It was pretty intense for many of us. And what can happen is when you get into a new year is often we bring those dents and scrapes and kind of bangs on the head that we had from the previous year before. And you know what? A change in the date doesn't just automatically just sort that out or heal that for you. You know, often, and that carryover can, while we hit a new year with a certain level of, of enthusiasm, often when we don't think about those dents and scrapes and bangs on the head from the year before, we can often, we, as we carry that into the new year, that can produce cynicism or disengagement and actually just kind of evaporate any kind of enthusiasm um, for a new start. And look, you want to hear me super clearly on this. I'm not the kind of guy who says just like, push that under the carpet. I'm definitely not saying that. And the Bible has got no sense around it that says like definitely any kind of sense of disappointment or things that go, just kind of like, I don't know, place that under here. It's a big carpet, right? Just shove it under there. The Bible's not about that at all. And so what I'm definitely not saying is, don't, I'm definitely not saying like just, you know, minimize it. But what I'm also saying, what I'm also saying is, be open to what God is saying to you in the midst of that. What's God saying to you in the middle of all that? Not despite of that, but rather in uh, the middle of that. And I just want to say that at the start of 2024, you know, one of the most important things that we can be doing is just creating some space and seeking God and asking this very simple question. God, what are you saying to me in 2024? God, what are you saying to me in 2024? Now, if you're new to the church, I realize like this, gosh, my gosh, what have I joined a cult? You know, where's the Kool-Aid? I'm out of here. Um, you know, this is all about God speaking. But do you know what? Most people in their lives sense on some kind of level that God speaks to them. Now, we could do a little poll. You don't have to do that. Well, maybe you do. But, you know, put your hand up if you've ever felt a sense that God has spoken to you ever felt that? Quite a few people, right? Quite a few people. So what I'm saying to you as we start this year, the most important thing for us to be doing is just pausing, just kind of, you know, get yourself, you know, get the sunscreen out of your eyes 
And just ask yourself this question, God, what are you saying to me as I launch into 2024? You know, the, um, the perspective or the map of life that we were kind of handed um, in the West, um, basically post the Middle Ages, is a map or a view of the world that understands the world pretty much. Um, it's called the Enlightenment, um, which also suggests that anything before it was rather in the dark, right? It's a great branding exercise for Middle Europe. Gosh, we're the cool Europeans. Now, we're, we're we brought in the season of the enlightenment. Of course, everything behind it would have to be called the dark ages, right? So great kind of branding exercise for 18th century Europe. Um, so in, basically, in, ever since kind of then on in, we got handed a map of the world that was really thought about things as if the whole universe, all of reality, operated like a massive grandfather clock. There'd be gears and levers and everything, kind of just was understanding how all the impersonal forces of nature worked, and you kind of got on top of that, and basically you could line your life up with how all these gears and cogs worked. It's a world dominated by physics, and if you're a physics nerd, I'm a physics nerd, then that's great news, right? It's good to understand physics. But what it's saying is, what I'm saying is there's more to life than that. But predominantly, this is the map that we were given, the map how we understood uh, the world. And this idea, though, is like super important and super helpful. Like, praise the Lord for the idea that you can have certain inputs into your life and get certain outputs. This predictability is at work every time you hop on a plane, right? That's good news. You don't want to be wondering, oh, I wonder if this is going to work, as you pay your money and hop on a plane, right? Often you do if you're in Jetstar, but <laughs> that's for other reasons, right? But, you know, these kind of like, these simple inputs and output idea of the world, is it work? We hop on a plane, we drive a car, people build skyscrapers, you send an email, you do a bank transaction, right? These understanding of how the kind of inputs and outputs of the world works is absolutely um, amazing. And who doesn't want that, right? This has given us everything from antibiotics, the light bulb, fMRI scanners, you know, um, the iPhone, awesome, you know, flat screen TVs, Xboxes, Tesla's ChatGBT, right? This has been absolutely wonderful, this way of understanding my world, uh, understanding the world. But my question is this, who has ever, now this may, this may not be you, right? But who has ever found themselves in this situation where you felt like you've kept to all the rules, you've kind of understood the cogs, you've kept to the rules, but things have not turned out the way that you thought it would? Anyone? Is it just me, right? Who's kind of kept the rules of life and basically things have not turned out the way that uh, you thought it was going to be. You know, maybe this is a relationship that's unraveled. Maybe this is a financial deal that hasn't you know, come off the way you've kind of thought it would. Who's ever discovered here that, you know, life is not simply a process of do the right degree, find the right partner, get the right job, get the right house, and then all will be right? Like, who has found that this is not as linear as we thought it was going to be, right? Who here has found that in reflection on 2023, you're going like, gosh, I'm up for 2024, but the dots, like, how do I join them all together? My life feels less like a graph that's neat and tidy. It's going up and to the right, but it's more like kind of a fog that we're in. You know, often that's the case, isn't it? And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about, the, I'm going to clear this up for you, because I'm going to talk about the ancient Near East, sea monsters, submarines, Godzilla, the H-bomb, 
in Psalm 93. It's very, like it's obvious, right? These all things they all fit together. So I'm going to talk about that. And what I want to say is just one really simple thing. One simple thing that God is the king, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, is not only the Lord of heaven, but rather the resurrection is the historical point around which you know, reality turns. And it marks the point where we can definitely say that the Lord of heaven is now also the Lord of the earth. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead and all things were put new in his life, that is God's intention for uh, creation and it's locked in. So be that as it may, the Lord, that God is king. I just want to say in 2024, the very best thing you can do is give God the first word. Just give God the first word in your life. Listen to God. What's God saying to you in 2024? And uh, lean into that. You know, what do you feel God is calling you into as you take the first steps into this year? What's God calling you to have a go at? What's God calling you to trust? What God, what's God calling you to chance your arm at? What's God calling you to do in terms of a road less travel? Where, God, where is God calling you to be more creative? What I'm saying is let, we've got to make space for this. It's the most important thing as we kick off into 2024. So what I'm going to do now, that's all intro, I've got lots of time. What I'm going to do is read Psalm uh, 93 and then we're into it. Is that good? Okay, so Psalm 93, this amazing psalm. The Lord is king, he's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he's girded with strength. He's established the world, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of mighty waters. More majestic than the waves of the sea. Majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits, befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Now, this is a wonderful psalm. And look, at the first blush of it, it kind of looks like quite a blinkered view of the world, right? Let's just say, let's just declare that God is the king of all things. And then let's just kind of try to not think about all the data of life that suggests otherwise, right? Let's just say that, and you know, if we say it loud enough and long enough, um, and we just whistle theological niceties into the dark, and then hopefully um, everything else will either fade away or we won't have to deal with that. Like on the surface of it, it's a lovely psalm, but it really doesn't want to talk about some of the real difficulties of life. Who here, even though they've been a Christian for 400 years, have ever doubted their faith? ever wondered, oh my gosh, what's happening here? You know, we, we get together, we sing amazing songs, and then sometimes you just feel like, oh gosh, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure about this, right? And that's because, you know, the data of life sometimes suggests otherwise and makes us question things, right? But a psalm like this, is that suggesting that? Actually, weirdly, it actually does. If you look into the historical background of this psalm, it actually wants to name some of the difficulties of life and actually does this process of name, it observes it, it names it, and then quite importantly, says something deeper and more significant than the data 
of life. It says something is actually much more certain and at the center of all things. So the historical background of the psalm is that when it was written, it was actually written at a time when Israel was in real trouble. Actually, Israel was drowning. It was a moment of, of when basically a neighboring country had come in and invaded their country and basically completely displaced them. It was a moment of uh, exile. So Psalm 93 wasn't written in a time of like amazing affluence and it's like, oh, I'm, oh my gosh, what should I go? I'm going to go to the beach. Am I going to have a martini or I'm going to have a gin? What am I going to? It's so amazing. It's actually not. This psalm was written in a moment of exile. It's written by refugees. Written by refugees. So you've got to think. Think Ukrainians, like, basically trying to, like, sort out their paperwork as they get to Poland. Right? Think about Sudanese refugees in a boat, like, jamming into these small boats, heading off, knowing that they've been chased out of their land, and always wondering, gosh, am I ever going to make it back to my ancestral home? Think trauma. Think isolation. Think dislocation. Think shock. Think distress. Think absolute disappointment. Now, granted that we might be, you know, not feeling this at all, we often sometimes feel a sense of exile from ourselves also. Sure, we're not, not, you know, in this kind of situation, but for ourselves, any kind of trauma, any kind of disappointment can, you know, psychologically distance us from ourselves. What's interesting, when you read through some of the research about how people are doing post-COVID, you know, it feels like, gosh, 2023 was supposed to be the year we got over COVID, right? But... Man alive, all the data suggests that, in fact, people are still actually quite psychologically bruised, quite emotionally drained from that uh, pandemic, and it's casting a much bigger shadow than, you know, we ever thought. In fact, this trauma of being kind of being kind of tipped out of the boat of our comfort zone, wherever we are, can actually give us a sense of dislocation or dislocated from ourselves. Often when we're forced to do new things, a new job, a new, I'm going to go to a new class in school, I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to do some new subjects. There's that sense of dislocation, a sense of like chaos, and is God, am I going to be okay? Is God uh, in control here? And what we find actually in the middle of the psalm is actually the psalm raises these questions of chaos. It raises these questions of um, where is God in the middle of this. It says that despite all of these things, Psalm 93 declares that God is king. Despite chaos, despite fear, despite death, actually God is ruling. And it does that by, through some quite specific ways that the Bible nearly always does it. It does it by using the um, language of water and the water of um, a particularly a flood or the sea. So if we have a look in here, in the middle of it goes, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Now, Israel kind of is uh, like many ancient cultures in the, you know, in the ancient areas. They're agrarian, right? It's all their life is based around the ability to grow crops, look after the land, and the cycle of life continues. So for them, the worst thing in the world was suddenly you've got a crop in the ground and there'll be a flash flood and it's actually, it's completely wiped out. Or the sea, you know, it's completely uncontrollable, inundate the land. And then so that food is completely gone. So all of your life is based on the fact that there's this kind of like there's this um, uh, rhythm of life that's connected to uh, the land. And so any sense of being disconnected from your whenua, any sense of being disconnected or exiled from your land was associated with chaos and death and a real kind of your life was like up in the air. 
And so often, you know, the images of water and the sea were used. It's kind of like the, the language of the ancient Near East to kind of to say that these things threaten life. And so, you know, um, we're all reading the Book of the Dead at the moment, aren't we? It's such a great book uh, from Egypt. And here's a picture from uh, the Book of the Dead. Um, if we can just jump to that mic. Thank you. So, oh, it's a bit fuzzy, but in the ancient world, like this in Egypt, so this is a picture that shows Amon-Re, which is the sun god, um, and Amon-Re, basically every day, Amon-Re would, ha- would be on this barge, he would have to go through this, the, uh, the sea, the Sea of Reeds, called the Yom Suf, which is where the, you know, this is where the, the, um, the dead were, this was the, the, um, the chaos lived, the very things that threaten life, and he would have to um, do battle with this ancient serpent, Apophis. And so the whole of life was this process, this cycle of violence, and basically the, where, the, where the gods had to basically overcome chaos in order to secure life. In order to talk about that, they used the picture of a sea serpent. And similarly, in Babylon, the, you know, the, the country right next door, Enuma Elish, um, which is a, another great summer read, um, talks about this. We can flick to the next picture. Here's the, um, in the Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian story about how um, creation happened. Um, uh, Babylon's basically um, where modern-day Iraq is today. So in the Enuma Elish, it talks about Marduk, uh, this god down here, um, at, and basically attacking or overcoming the sea monster Tarmat. And what Marduk does is overcomes uh, Tarmat and then um, splits her body into two, forming the heavens and the earth. Now, it's interesting in all of these, both of these stories, in the Egyptian stories and in the, um, in the Babylonian stories, Creation is not only formed, but creation is sustained through force and through violence. Now, let's flip into the Genesis story, which has a completely different take on it. Instead of violence and force, what we have is the story of God creating this world and God sustaining this word through his gracious word and his gracious will. Here we go. Let's go quick flick into Genesis. There's no sermon I can do without going to Genesis, by the way. Um, So Genesis 1, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was covering the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Notice here the two elements. There's darkness and there's water, but God's Spirit is over them. And then God overcomes the situation just through a word. Just through a word. You know, the Bible has a completely different uh, understanding of how reality works. It says that at the very center of the world is a good and gracious God, a God that's for creation, not against creation, a God that's for flourishing, not against flourishing. And what Psalm 93 is saying is actually, although the world feels chaotic at times, God's spirit is actually hovering over all this chaos. And actually, God is the king, and God can actually bring out amazing, good creation from all of this. And therefore, because God is at the very center of reality, we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to fear. You know, the most popular, or the most, um, they, uh, I suppose, not most popular, the most frequent command in the Bible is not don't swear. I mean, obviously, that's a good one. You know, it's obviously, um, you know, 
don't steal, obviously that's a good one. It's actually don't fear. That's the, big, that's the most uh, frequent commandment in the Bible. Don't fear. And why don't we fear? It's because God is the king. God's got this. God looks after his world through God's gracious word and through God's gracious will. And I feel like this is a message for us uh, also today. It was a message back in the ancient world, but it's such a message for us uh, today also. You know, the world wants to claim, or there's a sense in which we, you know, we, in the Enlightenment, this way we kind of understand the world as a series of cogs and under, understanding like how it all works through these impersonal forces. The Enlightenment wants to say that, that it and not Jesus' resurrection is actually the great turning point in the world. I want us to remind us today that actually Jesus has risen from the dead. God has got this world. And it's going to be through this risen Lord that all things are made new. So, so still there's this kind of optimism that's at place in our world that one day, you know, maybe technology will do the work for us. And this has actually existed for a very long time. This idea that actually human, through our ability, just to kind of get the cogs right. If we just get ChatGBT working for us, like, oh my gosh, it's going to sort so many things out, right? Who's hoping for that, right? One day, yeah, I'm hoping for that. If you're a terrible speller, this could be like, it's so great. Um, but, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, technology for us has been the thing that we look towards to solve so many problems. And this has been around for a very long time. The very first kind of like, you can see this in um, lots of fiction books, so in, um, in the early 1800s, so 1870, Jules Verne wrote this book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Has anyone read this? Yeah, it's a very popular book, and it's obviously a very old book, and it has this account, again, of how, of a, of a great sea monster, and it says, it kicks off... Um, the start of the story kicks off. It says the year was 16, uh, sorry, 1866 was signaled by a remarkable incident, a mysterious and inexplicable phenomenon, which doubtlessly no one has ever forgotten. In every place of great resort, the monster was the fashion. They sang of it in the cafes, ridiculed it in the papers, and represented it on the stage. All kinds of stories were circulated regarding it. Now, the story, if you, haven't, if you haven't, aren't familiar with this, is actually is that Verne's was trying to symbolize uh, through this story was that humanity's triumph of technology over the natural forces of the world. Of course, what wasn't, you know, what they thought was actually a sea monster turned out to be this amazing mechanical wonder. Humanity had conquered the seas, and they did it through this amazing submarine. And so there was this idea in the very in the early 19th century that you know the great thing that needed to be conquered, the sea, the sea monster, we've done it. And how do we do it? We use technology. However, at the end of the 20th century, people's confidence in technology, which is kind of where we enter into the story in little ways today, our confidence in technology is slightly beginning to wane. You know, you have two world wars. And it's like absolutely devastating for a whole population, you know, for, it's just absolutely devastating. And even today, you know, with, with the on, onset of war breaking out in the Middle East, it's like, really, like, what the hang's going on here? But certainly, you know, in the, even in the early 50s, you've got um, this real kind of as a reeling after World War II. It's interesting, this film that came out, 1954, um, this film was released in Japan, uh, Godzilla. And um, in this film, Godzilla is a monster, again, emerges from the sea, and it's a powerful metaphor for the chaos of the atomic bomb that rained down, you know, uh, absolute devastation over uh, Japan nine years earlier. 
And in this movie, the, um, the beast is awakened by the H-bomb testing and it breathes this fiery destruction on you know, families all over the place in neighborhoods. And technology, this power that was supposed to bring about so much healing and so much restoration, overcoming death, has actually been one of the things that has produced so much chaos and so much uh, devastation. And really the science and the technology revolution, we kind of feel like, gosh, where is it? Has it really helped uh, that much? And one of the interesting things is, of course it's helped. Of course it's been amazing. But it's actually not going to solve the key problems in our world. Because actually, the problem in their world is actually not that the gears are not all lined up. It's actually that the very center of reality is not a set of impersonal forces, but rather the very center of the world, the very center of reality, is a personal being, is a person. And it's the, per you know, it's, it's the, it's the Lord. And, so, and what's so important about that is while we thought the world was kind of like, like a great-grandfather clock, what we haven't realized, in fact, the, the world is actually a kingdom. God is the king. The world and reality is actually a kingdom. And one of the most important things about a kingdom is it works by words, right? A kingdom works by words. The king gets asked to do something and, and things get done. The queen gets to, you know, basically produce some edicts, and they get done. The thing about a kingdom is that it works through words, and this is what's so important about the Bible and so important for us as we kick into 2024. You know, it's through God's word that God creates the world. It's through God's word that God creates the church. It talks about trusting the sustaining, you know, the Bible talks about God sustaining his world through words. Jesus says you can't eat, live by bread alone. That's actually through God's words that human beings are actually sustained. Even Jesus is described as the word of God made flesh and has entered into our world. And I think this is such good news for us. I think it's such good news for us. You know, today our job is actually not just to make sure we're out with technology. Uh, today the, the job is actually not just to try and understand the forces of the world and get all those ironed out. Today, the most important thing we can be doing is just to be still, to be listening to God, to be listening to God's word, listening to God's word to us, to you. You might not even be a Christian, but you know God is speaking to you. And what we do know about people, you know, what we know around life is most people pray, even if they're not Christians, most people pray, most people have that sense of actually God speaking to them. You don't have to be, have a PhD in theology. You can actually just be wondering about all kinds of things, have great doubts about Christian faith, and you think, but actually God can still speak to you. And so just as we land today, just as we come in for communion, what I want to do is I just want to give us 30 seconds of silence. I want you to close your eyes. Hang on to your iPhone, of course. That is a church. You never know where these things get stolen. Just close your eyes. And ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me in 2024? What are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are the Lord of the earth. You reign and you rule. You bring life where there's chaos. We just want to sit before you. We want to close our eyes at the start of this new year. And we're just asking you to speak to us now. Speak into each individual life the words that we need to hear. Come, Holy Spirit.
Lord, where are you calling us? What are you saying to us? What new things are you asking us to pick up? What old things are you asking us to put down? Where are you asking us to trust you more? Where are you asking us to be more creative? Where are you asking us to um, really uh, pour our lives into? Where are you asking us to be more brave? Where is more courage required? Holy Spirit, reveal to us your goodness. Take away the lies that often hold us back. Reorientate us around your heart for flourishing, for life. Remind us that you're making all things new. Where we're weak, give us strength. Where we are doubting, give us faith. Where we're hurting, bring healing. Where we're lost, show us the way. Where we feel disconnected, reconnect us through your Holy Spirit. Reveal your presence to each one of us. We're giving 2024 to you. We want to give you the first word, Heavenly Father. Amen.